Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with 10 years of experience. And this is Trisha, and my winkle pickers are really uncomfortable. That sounds uncomfortable. What on earth are those? Well, they're shoes with a really sharp, sharp point. You know what I'm talking about? Like with, Uh, yeah. Um, And I have a couple pairs and I just can't wear them because, I mean, who wants to wear winkle pickers all day long? Not many people. Carrie Bradshaw. That's about it. I once had a kid I worked with who told me that I should stop wearing pointy shoes because my toes would get all mushed up. He He was right. He didn't want you to have winkle picker toes. He did not. Okay, good for him. Well, as Courtney said, welcome to Addicted to Murder. Um, And as always, uh, our Instagram is, go ahead. Oh, it's um, Addicted to M Podcast. And our Facebook is Addicted to Murder Podcast. And our email is Addicted to Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Sweet action. Um, And we want to say thank you to all our followers. Um, We're growing more and more every day, and it's neat to see the different people in different states and now several countries. I mean, I don't know if they accidentally downloaded us or not, but they're showing up on our statistics board. So thank you to all of those people. And a special thank you to Haley, who I saw last night and gave me a big hug and told me how much she loves our show. And she's 21, so I feel like this is pretty awesome coming from a a younger person. She said, we're killing it. Yes. Thank you, Haley. We appreciate you. Well, Courtney has picked a doozy. Why don't you tell them about it? So, as usual, I seem to be drawn to serial killers that existed in kind of my own backyard for some reason. Um, And so this week we are looking into a region of Washington where I spent some of my early childhood years, where I have family that still lives near there and works near there. Um, So today we are going to dive into the case of Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. the Green River Killer. You know, it's not just that we're doing ones in this area. I just feel like some of the more prolific ones happen to be you know, in this area. What do you think? Is is that reasonable to say? I mean, you got Ted Bundy, you got Gary Ridgway. I mean, if you're looking at California, there are so many. I mean, I think there is a a common running joke that we tend to grow serial killers in the Pacific Northwest just as much as we grow trees. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, good to know. Well, um, shall we get started? Let's do it. Okay. Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. the Green River Killer, was born February 18, 1949, in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was the middle child of Mary and Thomas Ridgway, so he had one older brother and one younger brother. And then the uh, the family soon moved to Seattle, Washington. Um, It was called SeaTac, which I just thought was the name of an airport, but apparently it's also the name of a town. No, wait, okay. This is blowing my mind already. Is C- I thought SeaTac was because it was Seattle Tacoma, like in the middle. Is is SeaTac really in SeaTac? Yes. Oh my gosh. And it also does stand for Seattle and Tacoma in the middle. Okay. I mean, I fly out of that airport all the time. Okay. All right. Well, we're done for the day. Have a good night. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary's home life has been described as get this odd. Uh, Courtney, do you think we'll ever see a serial murderer grow up in a normal, happy environment? Probably not. Yeah. Well, his father was reported to have been very meek and almost seemingly checked out um, in the household dynamic. It was reported by a later wife of Ridgeway that 
his mother, Gary's mother, was just the complete opposite. And at one time, like, when she was there, she broke a plate over Gary's father's head, and Gary's father did nothing. He just got up and walked away, sat down in another room. Um, And Mary, she was very domineering. Um, She was described as wearing the pants. I do hate that phrase, but that was how she was described in the documentaries and books that we've uh, researched. Um, Mary did the opposite of wearing pants, though. She actually wore very short shorts, very short dresses, very short skirts, very tight tops, etc. Schoolmates of Gary would later comment in various interviews of how Mary dressed, so she really stuck out. Um, It was seemingly inappropriate at the time for a quote-unquote mom to dress in such a provocative way in public. Uh, Mary was also responsible for handing all the household money. Um, She basically ran that household. She worked as a part-time associate at JCPenney. I imagine she liked working there because it was a place where she could dress up and wear all her makeup and she liked to have big bouffante hair. Um, So Courtney, I'm not really sure if this is a really valid question in this day and age because gender roles have changed drastically in our society. Uh, Not as much as I wish, but anyhow, at this time, do you think that this atypical family dynamic affected Gary in some way? I imagine that it did, you know, in in that time period, you know, though, both kind of the way that Mary dressed and the, the way that she kind of held power in the home probably would have been pretty embarrassing for Gary and his brothers and his father. Um, so my guess is they probably would have tried to keep as much of it a secret as possible. Obviously, you know, Mary goes out in public dressing how she's dressed, but the anger, the abuse, the control within the home, I'd imagine was probably tried to keep a secret as much as possible. Um, But at the same time, right, Gary growing up in this environment likely experienced, you know, high levels of stress and and fear of his mother probably. Um, And witnessing his father's mistreatment may have contributed directly to kind of his developing need for control and for kind of being able to prove his more like masculine strength. Okay. Um, Well, there isn't much written about Thomas, his dad, um, but what I was able to find basically just describes describes him, as I said, as being very complacent and adhering to his domineering wife. Um, There were reports of violent fights between them in front of the children, but I'm just supposing it was more Mary, but I I could have been wrong. Um, His dad was a bus driver for the county, and occasionally Gary would go to work with his dad, who would point out sex workers on the streets and then speak crudely and terribly about them and how they were less than and didn't deserve to live and blah, 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 blah. But it's also rumored rumored that his father would actually then purchase their services and occasionally uh, with Gary on board. Um, So it seems wildly inappropriate for a father to even speak to his young son about sex workers and then go beyond that and degrade them and verbally bash them, but then to have reportedly hired them for services while Gary was with him. Um, It's got to be a strongly mixed message. Courtney, what can you tell us about how Gary may have processed this conflicting information? There was a lot of inappropriate things that Gary learned from his father, um, in addition to learning about the sex workers. Um, It is also reported that Thomas told Gary about a friend of his who worked in a mortuary and would would engage in sexual activities with the dead bodies. 
So at this point, that's sort of what triggered the idea of necrophilia in his head. And Gary actually began to have kind of fantasies about having sex with dead women. Um, And specifically, I think there was a a quote um, that he said that he liked the idea of having sex with someone who was dead because he wouldn't get caught. No feelings, they wouldn't feel it. Um, So that, I think, is very telling of Mm -hmm. one way in which kind of these conversations impacted a young Gary. Um, But then also, you know, he's being exposed to sexual information kind of from all sides around him. And so on one hand, there's that message that, like, sex is great. It's a good thing. You know, it's normal to want it, and you should be seeking it out. Um, But also that women who engage in any sort of sex work are evil and less than. And we will see later how much this contradiction, contradiction, excuse me, impacted Gary's behaviors and eventual murders. Right. Well, and Gary was not a bright person. His IQ was in the low 80s, and he was dyslexic. In fact, he was so poor at his studies that he failed two grades, and he did not graduate high school until he was 20. At this time, I'm sure part of his slow progression was due to the lack of classes that could help a person with dyslexia. Unfortunately for Gary, his brothers did not have this problem, and of course, his older brother Gary was considered the golden child. Uh, Gregory, or sorry, his older brother Gregory, um, Gregory ran for student office and eventually majored in physics at a good university. So, Courtney, we've all heard of the middle child syndrome situation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so middle child syndrome is not an official diagnosis that exists, but it's based on the studies of a developmental psychologist named Albert Adler. Um, and his theories on development. Um, but it's an area of disagreement in the mental health field on as whether birth order actually matters or not. But essentially, um, it is often described that middle children feel like they are not given the same amount of attention, care, or opportunities as their older and younger siblings while they're growing up. And as a result, kind of the stereotypical, quote, middle child is more rebellious tends to have actually pretty good social skills, um, is more likely to want to create distance physically and emotionally from their family, and are not concerned with things like perfectionism and achievement. And so Gary actually fits with a lot of these characteristics. You know, what he lacked in academic achievement, he made up for with being friendly and sociable, or at least playing that role very well. Yeah, I mean, he... I think you point out later there was no real record of him being bullied and you know that must say something for the fact that he was held back twice and you know he must have been pretty good at being social and likable and all that stuff right there's definitely reports um from his some of his peers growing up that you know he never struggled to make friends he never struggled to find girls who would date him Mm -hmm. he was just very congenial yes okay Kind of the opposite of Ted and Willie, <laughs> mm-hmm, right. <laughs> right? You know, Willie was just stinky, and Ted just had no idea what to do with girls. That's what right. he said. Well, later on in an interview with Gary, um, reportedly the only time he really showed any emotion was when he talked about how he knew he was limited intellectually, and he did actually cry when he talked about how he was afraid to be uh, of being put on. I know this is not PC, but this is what he said: he was afraid of being put on the uh, short bus. And I guess his mother allegedly would threaten to institutionalize him 
in a home for the mentally retarded. That was his words. And she never did follow through on that threat, but it was a looming threat that she would use um, on poor Gary, who obviously was very aware of his deficits. So, Courtney, we spoke briefly about how Willie Picton was held back in school and how that is not really done anymore um, because, you know, as we'll have you refresh us on that. But um, are you are there any comments on Gary's low IQ, his dyslexia, um, etc.? So Gary's IQ was measured to be 82, which is considered right on the border between kind of like average and below average functioning that cutoff is 80 but it's pretty low it's lower than willie picton's was his was like 85 right i think 86 86 yeah. okay yeah so you, you take that and you add a learning disability like dyslexia which impacts you know someone's ability to read and, and understand written language um it would be pretty obvious from a very young age to gary his teachers and likely his peers that he just was less intelligent and less capable in these areas. And so while there aren't really, like you said before, reports that, you know, Gary got bullied at school, but it definitely, you know, impacted his self-esteem and was a deep source of shame for him, right? And then add into that the fact that, you know, he got held back twice in high school, nonetheless. Um, and like you said before, like they don't really hold kids back much anymore because, you know, there is that research that suggests that holding a kid back, you know, limits their self-esteem, it limits their social abilities, it can impair their learning, just kind of all sorts of bad things happen um, when kids see the people they've been in class with moving forward, being successful, and they're left behind struggling right? Mm -hmm. And throw in that, you know, his older brother Gregory was so successful, especially academically, that comparison would have been kind of heartbreaking, mm -hmm. right? Like, can you imagine how sad it might feel to know that you just have this deficit and there's nothing you can do to change it? I mean, it's terrible. And then you have your mom threatening to put you into an institution, um, because of your low IQ, and I think she's doing it. The way that I, I'm reading it is she's doing it just to be a bitch. Like, not because she's really concerned for him, but, like, as a threat. Right, not as, like, you need extra help, yeah. so we'll put you here, but uh, right. this you're was, not good enough, and this would be a punishment yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, Courtney, dyslexia just, um, it, it's when you read words backwards, did you know exactly the diagnosis for that, or is that more of a medical thing? Um, so there's a couple different types of dyslexia. Um, so on the one hand, it does kind of um, like scramble the letters, sort of, when mm -hmm. you're trying to read. Um, that's the part where like the reading part is hard, but then it can also make it so that even when you are able to read the words, it's hard to like comprehend what the meaning behind the words is. It's like that correlation isn't there or it takes a, like this word means this kind of thing? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, an article I read by Adam Janos that quoted Gary's later attorney, Patty Eeks, um, had this interesting, the thing, interesting thing to say. This is a quote. I suspect that having a brilliant brother was a big thing that shaped him. Gary's the troubled one, not the smart one. 
I suspect that he, it was a big issue for him throughout his life. Perhaps being a serial killer was something he could see, succeed at. Courtney, this is an attorney's insight, not a therapist or psychologist's insight, but do you agree? I do agree with this um, to a certain degree. It is probably not something that was like a conscious thought that he had, you know, at least not right away. Probably wasn't like, you know what, like I'm not good at physics, so I'm going to kill people and that'll be my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we look back at the middle child syndrome, you know, another characteristic is for the middle child to focus on being good at something different from the oldest sibling and kind of having their own thing that made them special instead of trying to compete and always losing. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to the fucked up relationship that is Gary and his mother. Um, So while Mary worked at JCPenney, she would come home and tell Gary that when she measured men for their suits, the men would get aroused. She would also then tell Gary that she could smell these men's genitals. Okay. Well, so... Gary was a bedwetter. In fact, he wet his bed until he was 13 years old. On one occasion, um, well, actually, and then when he would wet the bed, his mom would berate him in front of his brothers, uh, make him feel, and then she would make him take a cold bath. And while he was in the bath, she would clean his dirtiest parts. That was a quote. So... Basically, Gary reported that after he wet the bed, his mother would put him in a tub and wash his genitals. And while she was washing his private parts, her robe would fall open occasionally and she'd be naked underneath. Gary does not claim that he was molested by his mother, but this was his account of the story. So he reportedly started having violent violent sexual fantasies about his mom after this. Um, in one article I read, it said he wanted to maim her for life by cutting her throat with a kitchen knife to relieve the rage because he could never please her. Uh, Courtney, this again is obviously inappropriate behavior between Gary and a parent. This seems much worse than his father's conflicting message. What would this do to a person? This bond between mother and son is pivotal for proper development. Also, can you go over a bit about why a child wets the bed into his teen years? Yes, absolutely. So um, kind of starting with wetting the bed, the the technical term here would be nocturnal enuresis. um, And that's a medical diagnosis that refers to involuntary urination during sleep um, that persists persists beyond the age of five because uh, kind of under the age of five we expect that little kids will have accidents here and there um, but very few people do kind of beyond that so there are a number of physical like medical conditions that can cause this things like having poor muscle control around the bladder um, having a reduced feeling in the nerves of the bladder so you, like you don't feel that urge when you have to go Um, Or even sleep disorders, where a person just is sleeping so deeply that they don't notice the urge when it comes up until it's too late. And now, um, I don't know if Gary had any of these, but it's always possible. Um, But also, something to think about is there is a link between enuresis and stress, particularly a strong link between enuresis and sexual abuse. So... What Gary's mother was doing to him is absolutely sexual abuse, whether he recognized it for what it was or not. You know, it's wildly inappropriate for a mother to be bathing her teenage son. 
especially focusing on washing his genitals, which by now have fully formed into, you know, sex organs. And Gary also reported that he would sometimes become sexually aroused during these incidents, which would be a completely normal biological thing to have happen if someone is, you know, paying attention to that part of your body. Um, And, of course, his mother would have been keenly aware of the fact that he was aroused and what that meant. Now, for a young teen Gary, he's been receiving weird messages about sex his whole life, right? He's just done something considered shameful, having wet the bed at 13, and then has what is likely one or more of his first sexual encounters with his own mother. And that in itself is confusing and shameful because that's, I mean, that's not what moms are supposed to do. I wonder who uh, or how mom grew up because I, I tried to kind of look into her past. I can't really find much, but I've got to, I've got to assume that she was abused as well. Um, I don't know why else someone would do this to their son, but you know. I'm not judging. I am a little bit. Um, Gary would later describe that he started to be attracted to his mother, but at the same time, he hated her. Um, So it's no wonder with this, it's no wonder with what happened in the household that he felt this way. So let's recap. A domineering mother who overly, who was overly sexualized in both appearance and in her relation with her son, a father that would verbally trash talk and point out sex workers to a young Gary, but then would use their services while, in Gary's company, a mother who would physically abuse her husband, a husband who would most of the time take the abuse and ignore it, um, and then there were reports that the, that both of the parents would use belts on their kids for very minor offenses. So throw that in with the thing about dad telling Gary about stories of ne- stories of necrophilia and all this stuff. This is perhaps one of the most chaotic households we've analyzed. Courtney, what are your thoughts? Growing up in the Ridgeway household would certainly have been a challenge probably for anybody, right? It was such a house of contradictions. On the one hand, it was very controlled, but also very chaotic. Um, It was very sex forward, right, in a lot of ways, but then also kind of condemning of sex and religious. The family belonged to a Baptist church, for example. And, you know, they were all really close to each other. But there was also a lot of secrets going on in that house. So it's kind of no wonder that Gary grew up to be such a contradiction himself. So just something that popped into my mind. Um, Is it more common than I think for a mother to sexually abuse her son? I mean, I know we hear about fathers doing it to daughters, but is it is it also pretty common the other way around or is it is it much more rare? Um, both, I'd say. Like, I think it's more common than we expect it to be, but it is still not as common as, like, male figures abusing young girls. Okay. So we've seen that Gary wet the bed well beyond the time that was normal for a child. You said five. Um, It's also reported that at this time in his life, he started lighting fires and engaging in arsonistic arsonistic activities, albeit never charged... And then he started to torture animals. One example of this is putting a living cat into a freezer, killing it in the process. Holy shit, Courtney, do we have it? Do we have the famous triad of psychopathy of serial murders? Dun, dun. 
Ah, uh, yes, the McDonald Triad, often referred to as the Dark Triad. Um, and these, uh, this triad sort of identifies three behaviors that supposedly can be predictive of future violence. And these three behaviors are aneurysis, bedwetting, fire setting, and cruelty to animals. So this connection was first made back in the 1960s um, by a Dr. J.M. McDonald, thus the McDonald Triad. Um, and he studied kind of serially violent criminals who were in prison. And so he suggested at that time that the presence of at least two of these factors during childhood or teen years was predictive of violent crimes later in life. Now, there has been actually a lot of controversy kind of around this. However, as more research has found that kind of these behaviors that do tend to kind of go together are even more closely linked to having experienced parental neglect, abuse, or brutality. And so as we can see with Gary, you know, both explanations really appear valid. Okay, well thank you for that explanation, Courtney. Um, when Gary was 16 years old, he progressed from animal torturing to people torturing. It was a little boy. This little boy was about uh, five, six years old. He was a kindergartner and he was playing cowboys and Indians by himself um, near the Ridgeway house. The little boy had a stick and was fighting in an imaginary battle. And Gary went up to the little boy and asked if he wanted to build a fort with him. And the little boy said, sure, let's do it. And then Gary turned around and stabbed the little boy with a pocket knife in the stomach. There was blood everywhere. The knife had punctured the little boy's liver. And the little boy quoted, said, or the little boy was quoted as saying, Why did you kill me? To which Gary replied, and this is a quote, I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. Gary then turned away, walked off, and was laughing. The boy did live, and Gary was never um, charged with this. I think it was just something that was recounted later on. Um, so, Courtney, Absolutely no remorse from this 16-year-old Gary. Nothing. If anything, there's glee and potent that he, you know, might have killed a little boy that he didn't even know. Can you shed some insight on this behavior? Yes. If we look at Gary's life so far, there have been so many things happening to him and around him that he likely had an extraordinary amount of repressed anger and rage. So those who argue that the kind of dark triad is related to childhood abuse, you know, they suggest that setting fires and hurting animals um, are ways that a child can express that anger that they have, um, but aren't able to actually show to the person who's the real target of their anger, kind of in Gary's case, mostly his mother. And so it likely starts with small things um, like burning ants with a magnifying glass, then moves up to small animals like frogs or lizards, you know, eventually up to house pets as cats and that kind of thing. Um, and for most, you know, kids with the triad, it stops there, right? But in Gary's case, obviously it didn't. And so with any addiction, you know, the stakes and the dose needs to get higher and higher to have the same level of release. And so Gary needed to take the next step up that hierarchy, which was people. And, you know, a young boy playing alone would have been an easy target. 
There are also rumors that he may have drowned a young boy in a lake nearby, kind of around in the same time period, um, but that has never been proven. So, Courtney, what you're saying is if this triad is related to abuse, um, that internal rage that these children have that they cannot release on their abuser, they turn to lighting fires or hurting things that they can hurt because they're bigger and stronger and all that. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that would be the idea. And and releasing that rage feels good. And Mm -hmm. almost like if they do end up going farther, um, you know, how they kill someone and then it's quieted for a while. And then the rage comes back and they have to kill someone it's quieted for a while. Do you think that this triad, or at least the the fire starting and the um, animal abuse, do you think it's similar to that? You know, they do it, and then it's quiet for a while, and they do it again. Yes, exactly. So Um, it's probably not a one-time thing. No, it is probably definitely not a one-time thing. Um, And then if you throw in the, like, impulsivity of adolescence and kind of the youthful curiosity of, like, I wonder what happens if I do this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as a teen, that's where you can get some of those really sort of cruel and sadistic actions especially like towards the animals and that kind of thing um that scare people so much so if gary came to you as a 16 year old and you knew all of this Mm -hmm. you knew his household life i mean for okay he would have been taken out of that home but if you knew all this you knew he had these uh the mcdonald triad what what would you think you would diagnose him as and what treatment do you think would help Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I would probably diagnose him first with post-traumatic stress disorder because clearly he experienced trauma. Um, and then at 16, doing these things, I would probably throw conduct disorder on there as well. Um, because, you know, even the, the situations of these triad are actually like symptoms of conduct disorder. So they are part of that checklist. Okay. Um, and then in terms of treatment... I think the main purpose and goal would be finding healthy outlets for these emotions and working through the trauma. That would be the goal. Okay. But do you think that it's possible to help someone in Gary's situation, or do you think at this point it's too late? I know this is a very hypothetical Mm -hmm. thing. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to determine if a kid like Gary going this far is already too far gone to, to treat. I think it's right on that borderline. Like, obviously, without any intervention, we see what Gary becomes. He mm-hmm. becomes one of the most prolific serial killers in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still time. You know, the, the brain is still growing. It is still developing. And so... I think it's possible with Gary that not necessarily that these fantasies or predilections would necessarily be eliminated, but I think it would be possible to help him learn how to manage those feelings okay. in a way that is not destructive. Yeah, or at least not murdering people. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that's all of the information we have today. Courtney, is there anything you else you want to add? Before we, before we stop. 
I think um, in a lot of ways, Gary's kind of lower intellectual ability makes it easier to clearly see how some of these events from his childhood directly shaped kind of the the motive and modus operandi mm-hmm. of his killings later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very kind of simple jump from point A to point B. Yeah. So I think that'll be interesting to explore next time. Yeah, I mean, him with his lower IQ, it's probably harder for him to process stuff. And um, as you say, he's probably not very self-reflective, you know, mm-hmm. to identify what's happening. Um, so yeah, it's going to be... I, I haven't done the research for exactly what goes on next, so I'm excited to see what happens, what we find for next week. It'll be an interesting ride. Yeah, I guess we will see. All right, well, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.